Friend, where else are you going to look? Look to the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, you're going to learn over the next several days here at Bible Baptist Church that I love Christmas. As a matter of fact, I love Christmas so much that I have a Christmas countdown on my phone. And I want to report to you that it's only 28 days, 12 hours, 38 minutes, and 25 seconds until the clock rolls over and strikes midnight on December 25th. Christmas time, in the words of the old country song, is a coming. And I want us to have one of the very best Christmases ever as uh, people who love the Lord and love one another here at Bible Baptist Church. In fact, uh, over the next week or so, you're going to be learning about more things that we're going to do during the Christmas season. But to get us started this morning, I want to go to one of the great Old Testament prophecies about Christmas that you'll find in the Old Testament. Be opening up your Bibles to the book of Micah, the Old Testament prophet Micah. As you're finding Micah, you're going to look for chapter 5. We're going to read one verse and that would be verse 2 of Micah 5. But while you're turning there, let me help you understand a little bit about Micah and place his writing in proper context. Micah is a contemporary with the prophet Isaiah. Of course, Isaiah would be a major prophet in the Old Testament. Now, I've told you this before, but keep in mind, there's not... A difference between the messages of the major prophets and the minor prophets in the Old Testament. The major prophets are the long-winded preachers, and the minor prophets are the short-winded preachers. That's a good way for you to keep in mind why we differentiate between major and minor. Not because major prophets have a more important message than the minor prophets, it's just that their writing is longer. You know that Isaiah and Daniel and Ezekiel and Lamentation, Jeremiah, all of those are just longer writings than what you find in the minor prophets. So Micah is a minor prophet who actually has a major message. Micah, as I said a moment ago, is prophesying at about the same time that Isaiah did in the Old Testament. And to help you think where that falls in the chronology of the Old Testament, it's about seven to six hundred years before the fall of Samaria to the north. That would be the country of Israel. And then Jerusalem to the south, the country of Judah at that time, because it's a split kingdom. And so Micah prophesies actually the falls of both of those nations, uh, Israel and then also Judah. But he has great news because he looks beyond all of those things that were contemporary to his life, and he looks across time, about 750 years, and he identifies the place where the Lord Jesus Christ would be born. Now, over the next several weeks, as we make a beeline into Christmas, 
you're going to hear this verse often. In fact, it would be a rare Christmas season that you didn't hear somewhere someone recite Micah chapter 5 verse 2. But I hope this morning, as we spend some time just really unraveling this one verse of Scripture, I hope it will mean more to you as we look forward to the coming of Christmas. Just to let you know where we're going, uh, this morning we'll be in Micah. For the next two Sunday mornings after this, we're going to look at one of the great prophecies from the book of Isaiah, and then we will make our way into the New Testament as we get down to those final few days before Christmas. But I want to talk to you this morning about old little town of Bethlehem. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. It's a short reading, so I'm going to ask you if you would and you're able, would you stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word. Micah chapter 5, verse 2, Scripture says, But thou, Bethlehem, Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is, to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. Would you pray with me, Lord? I want to thank you for the great week of Thanksgiving again that we've had. And now, Lord, uh, over these next few weeks, we will be uh, thinking much about the greatest gift that has ever been given, the gift of your Son, King Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that this morning you would bless us to get ahead, Father, on our thinking about the Christmas season. I pray, Father, that Christmas this year would not be for us all about the lights and the tinsel and the decorations and the giving and the gifts, Lord, but may Christmas this year be all about the reason that we celebrate it. And that is, Lord, that you intersected this world and, Father, you met our greatest need, the need for a Savior, in sending your Son, Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, that this morning, as uh, we've started this week in which we enter into the Christmas season, I pray that, Lord, you would do your work with your Word among each of us in this place, God. Help us leave here in just a few moments, being able to say together that it's been good to be with your people in your house today. I pray and I ask it in Jesus' name. And amen. Thank you for standing with me this morning. Would you please go ahead and be seated? Every person's existence can, for the most part, be summarized with three words. Word number one, birth. Word number two, life. And then word number three, death. Birth, life, death. And death. When you think about any person you've known that has gone on before you, often you'll go back to the place and the circumstances that surrounded that person's birth. You'll talk about where he or she was born, when he or she was born. You think about their life, the things that they did. One person actually looked at a gravestone one time and saw the birth date and the death date 
and said it's that little dash in between those two dates that actually represents one's life. But we do think about that. Where and when they were born, the life they, li- they lived, and then the death that they died. And that's certainly true when we think about the reason for the season, our Savior Jesus. When we think about His birth, we think about where? Bethlehem. When we think about His life, we think about Nazareth, because that's where He grew up from His childhood into His early adulthood. And then when we think about the death of Christ, certainly we think about Jerusalem, because that was the place where He went through His passion and ultimately went to the cross to pay our sin debt, and praise be unto God, three days later, He had rise again. And so we think about the birth of Jesus being Bethlehem, the life being Nazareth, the death being Jerusalem, and each of those different places conjure up a different image, a different picture in your mind and in your heart. When you think about Bethlehem, you think of the cradle. You think of that place where Mary wrapped him up in swaddling clothes and laid him down in a manger. When you think about Nazareth, you think about the carpenter shop because you know that Jesus' earthly father, Joseph, Scripture tells us, was a carpenter. He was a builder. And so the Lord grew up in that environment. And then, of course, when you think about Jerusalem, you think about the implement upon which he died, the cross. So you think about the cradle, the carpenter shop, and the cross. But all of this begins in the place where he was born, this quaint little town, particularly 2,000 years ago, that we know to be Bethlehem. Here's what I want to tell you about Bethlehem. Were it not for the birth of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, you would not know a whole lot about Bethlehem. We sing it in that carol that we'll sing at the conclusion of our time together this morning, O little town of Bethlehem. Those of us that come from small places that a lot of people haven't heard about can appreciate Bethlehem because that's the kind of place that it was, and for the most part still is today, outside of the fact that Jesus Christ was born there. It's just an obscure little place in what we now call the West Bank or Palestine. Bethlehem, even to this day, is not a grand place. It's not a gorgeous place. It still is a relatively small little town, but it is proof that big things can come in small packages because that's exactly what Micah began to prophesy about here in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. It's the prophecy of where our Savior would be born. So it's prophesied here in the Old Testament and then it's presented 
in the New Testament. We all love the writing of the evangelist Luke. When Luke talks about the circumstances that surrounded the birth of the Lord Jesus, in Luke chapter 2, verse 4, the Bible says, And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David. You know what precipitated that? There was a decree from the Caesar in Rome, Augustus, that the whole Roman Empire would have to be taxed. And not only would it be taxed, but it would be counted. There would be a survey taken of all the people from all the empire, and to do it right, they figured that every person, every family, had to go back to their old original hometown. And that's what took Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem from the human perspective. But what we know is this, and I I will say this many times over the next few weeks, and I don't want you to miss it. A lot of times we read the biblical story even, and we think about all the history that surrounds it, and a Caesar says this, and a Herod does that. But please know this, overarching all of that is a sovereign God. A sovereign God who had divinely planned for His Son to be born strategically in a place. So while there's a Caesar who thinks he's in control, what we know to be the fact is absolute truth. There is a God who is in ultimate control. And so God had been divinely, I believe, preparing this little town of Bethlehem to be the place where his son would be born. Bethlehem is located about six miles southwest of Jerusalem. These days, if you were to visit Bethlehem, you'd probably be staying in Jerusalem, and you really wouldn't know that you moved from one city to the next because Jerusalem and Bethlehem, they joined together. And so you would just, without noticing it, you would move from the bigger city, Jerusalem, into this small village called Bethlehem, about 2,500 feet above sea level. And back in the day of Christ, even though it was a small town, a lot of people would come through Bethlehem because it was on the road that led from Hebron, which was a significant place in Israel, all the way down to Egypt. In the time of Jacob, looking back to the Old Testament days, Bethlehem was called Ephrat. And we'll hear that name again in just a moment, but just keep that parked away in your mind and your thinking. In Jacob's time, it was Ephrat. It was the burial place of Rachel. And then after Israel comes in on their conquest of Canaan land, it was changed. The name of it was from Ephrat to Bethlehem. And then ultimately, you know this, it would become known as the city of David because it was right here in this exact place where David's 
great-grandmother Ruth met David's great-grandfather Boaz. It'd be here in this place called Bethlehem where David's father, Jesse, would be born. It'd be right here in this place called Bethlehem where David would grow up as a young boy into a young teenage boy keeping watch over his father's flocks. So it was a very important place. It would be the same place when later the prophet Samuel would come. After God had given Saul plenty of opportunities to lead his people the way that he should, and he didn't do that, God rejected Saul, and ultimately Samuel would come here and he would anoint David to become the king of Israel. But all of those facts about Bethlehem, they pale in comparison to what we look at in this prophecy from the prophet Micah. And it came to fruition on that silent night, that holy night when Christ Jesus was born. What I want you to keep in mind here, I've said it once, but let me reiterate it so that you don't miss it, is that Micah wrote this down 750 years before that first Christmas. Let me repeat myself. 750 years before Mary and Joseph went out to that cave where the animals were kept. 750 years before there was no room in the inn. 750 years before the star shone and the angels sang and the shepherds heard the pronouncement of God's messengers that unto you in this day in the city of David a Savior has been born. 750 years before all of that happened, listen to how amazing God is. He inspired a prophet to take out his quill and write down on parchment that Bethlehem would be the place where Jesus was born. I don't think you're fascinated, but you ought to be. Let me help you in your thinking with this. Here's what we know. Joe Biden is the 46th president of the United States of America. Joe Biden was born on November the 20th all the way back in 1942 in a place called Scranton, Pennsylvania. You know those facts about Joe Biden. Imagine that if this week some archaeologist, some student, some professor somewhere was able to dig in to some hidden prophecy... And 750 years ago, in the year 1192, wrote down on a piece of paper that in 1942, Joe Biden, who would become the 46th president of the United States, would be born in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Now just imagine that for a moment. If that were to be produced, would that be a headline or not? I mean, it would be news all over the world that there was 
somebody somewhere that was able to predict that the 46th president of the United States would be born, and, and not only that he would be born, but the time he would be born, the place he would be born, and the city in which he would be born. That would be absolutely fascinating, regardless of what you think about our president. It'd be fascinating. I just say that to help you process what I'm saying to you from the Word of God this morning. Never, ever, ever miss the fascination and the miracle that is in the prophetic tellings of the coming of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll say much about this over the next few weeks, but there are, as someone once counted, 365 of them in the Old Testament. From Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 to the end of the book of Malachi. 365 times God would place it in the heart of of a prophet that a Messiah was coming. But I'm here to tell you this morning, it doesn't get any more fascinating and the wonder is no larger than it is when you read Micah chapter 5 verse 2. It's one of the clearest, most concise, most concentrated messianic prophecies in all of the Old Testament. As Micah begins to look beyond his time. Now remember what I said earlier, it was a tumultuous time, it was a difficult day. Micah was the man of God saying unpopular things. He predicted that Samaria to the north would fall. He predicted that Jerusalem to the south would fall. But in the midst of all of the calamity of his day, God says there's great hope. And that's our message this morning. In the midst of our hard day, in the midst of everything that's swirling around you right now, in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your confusion, in the midst of your misunderstanding, God says there's hope. And that's exactly what Micah writes. In the midst of all the upheaval that's going on up in Samaria and here in Jerusalem, there is hope, but thou... Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little amongst the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. In this prophecy, I don't want you to miss the identity of the Messiah. I want you to see that with me. The identity. He's identified as one who is to be ruler in Israel. What does Micah say about this baby to be born in Bethlehem? Not only is he going to be a baby, and not only is a star going to shine, not only are the angels going to sing, not only are the wise men going to come, but this one is to be ruler in Israel. So immediately we know that the Messiah who is to be born, is to be a sovereign. He's to be a leader, an anointed one 
that would indeed rule over the nation of Israel. Now I want you to understand that the Jews, they certainly recognize and did recognize this prophecy as it indicates the birthplace of the Messiah. Now, How do we know that? We'll talk more about this in several weeks, but the wise men, when they showed up in Jerusalem about two years after Jesus had been born, and they were looking for this new king, they end up in front of Herod, who is the puppet king there in Jerusalem. And you know what Herod does? He gathers together all of the chief priests and the scribes and the smart Old Testament scholars of that time, and he begins to ask them where Christ was to be born. And you know what's recorded in Matthew chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet, But you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Herod understood it. Herod got so angry about it, and he was so jealous that he had all of the boys in Bethlehem that were born around the time of Christ executed, and Joseph and Mary had to take Jesus down to Egypt to escape all of that. But the fact is, the Jews knew it. And the Jews to this day, they know it because they believe Micah, they believe their prophet, who said it would be there in Bethlehem where this one who has the identity of being the ruler would come. Now frankly, that's why a lot of Jews these days overlook their Messiah. That's why they don't see many of them in Jesus, the coming of the Messiah. Because it's like the apostles who were there before the ascension in Acts chapter 1 began to ask, is it now, Lord, that you're going to come and and restore sovereignty to Israel? And Jesus looks at them and said, it's not for you to know the things that God has in his mind and in his heart. And so a lot of them overlook Jesus because they would say, this prophecy has not been fulfilled. But may I remind you this morning that this prophecy has been fulfilled and it will be fulfilled. It has been fulfilled because the identity of the Messiah is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem. It has been fulfilled because this Jesus rules and reigns in the hearts of His people, not just His people Israel, but here we are thousands of miles away and millennia away from the event that we're talking about. And look at us. We are a group of people worshiping God. And why are we doing that? Because Jesus Christ is alive and He's ruling and reigning in our hearts and in our lives. But let me also remind you that what Jesus did not fulfill at that first coming, brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ will fulfill 
when He comes again. I've already told you this morning that I love Christmas, not just because I love the first Christmas, the first advent of Jesus, but I love Christmas because there's another Christmas coming. There's another advent of Christ. And those 365 prophecies of the Old Testament, the ones He did not fulfill when He came the first time, I'm telling you, we have enough evidence to trust and to know that He will fulfill all of them when He comes the next time. Zechariah says that when He comes the next time, His feet will stand on the Mount of Olives and it will split from one side to the other. And then John picks up on it in the book of Revelation in 21 and he says, Then I saw heavens open and behold a white horse and the one sitting upon it is called faithful and true and in righteousness and judges and makes war. The armies of heaven are coming arrayed in fine linen, white and pure and following him on the white horses and on the robe and on his thigh he has a name that is written and that name is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Jesus Christ would be born in Bethlehem and what's his identity? He's the Messiah that would rule and would reign. I don't want you just to see with me this morning the identity of the Messiah but notice in this prophecy we also see the divinity of the King, of the Messiah. Notice what Micah writes. He says that this one who would be born, he shall come forth out of Bethlehem unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from when? From of old, from everlasting or from ancient days. In the Hebrew mindset, they would have understood this to mean from days of eternity past. In other words, the Messiah was going to be born, but He was not going to be created. I might say this another time or two over the next few weeks, so you might as well get it down now. Listen very closely. Jesus Christ is the only person in the history of this world that when he was born, he was older than his mother and just as old as his father. Only person in the history of this world that when he came out of the womb, he was already much older than his mother and just as old as his father. From eternity to eternity, listen... Messiah has always existed. What happened was that the Creator came down and became a a creation, a creature. The one who said, let there be light, came down and was the light of the world. The one who hung the stars in their places in the celestials was the one who came down to be the bright and the morning star. We know exactly what John would say. I love, as you know, the Gospel of John. And I love the prologue to John, the first few verses of the book of John. John would write in one one and say, In the beginning was the Word, 
the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 14, he writes, and he says, And the Word became flesh and dwelled among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So Micah says, this Messiah, he's not, any kind, not like any other type of leader that's ever been born in this world. His days go all the way back to the days of old. Not just old days, but everlasting days. Jesus has always been because Jesus is always God. As long as there's God, there's Jesus. God was never created, and the truth of the matter is, Jesus was never created. He condescended. We'll talk much more in a couple weeks about incarnation and what that means. That a holy God, spirit God, comes down and wraps up and robes up in human flesh. We'll talk all about why that was necessary. But this morning, I just want you to see that this Jesus, His identity is that He would be the ruler born in Bethlehem, but His divinity is that He comes from days of everlasting. I love the way Paul explains it in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 17. He writes and he says, He is the image of the invisible God. You've heard the word icon. It comes from the Greek word that's translated there as image. The icon, what you can see. I think the first time I became acquainted with the word icon was when I first started using computers many, many years ago. And wow, they've got much, much better. How many of you remember those old floppy disks that were literally floppy? And Macintosh came along and they developed this system where you could see on your screen an icon and click on that icon and it would take you to the real thing, the program. The program wasn't the icon. The icon represented it was a picture of the program. And that's who Jesus is. He is the icon. He is the image of the invisible God. Paul writes on and he said, The firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created that are in heaven, that are on the earth, visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things consist. You hear what Paul writes there? He's before all things. The same that Micah writes here. He is coming forth unto me, this one to be ruler, whose goings forth have been from old, from the days of everlasting. So in this one prophecy, we see the identity of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We see His humanity, but don't miss this last one that I want to point out to you. We see His activity. He's going to be ruler, but I want you to notice how He's going to rule. 
as he comes this first time, and until he comes the second time, the plan of Christ, his activity is to rule and to reign in the hearts of people. And he would do that by providing for us what we never could provide for him for ourselves. Luke would write in Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, verse 11, For there is born to you in the city of David, what? A Savior. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. And Micah wrote it down seven and a half centuries before it all happened here in Bethlehem. I want you to notice that Micah is very clear to take those two names for the city. Don't miss this. I told you earlier that in the time of Jacob, way back in the Old Testament, it was known as Ephrat, and then later it became known as Bethlehem. When Micah writes down the prophecy of the coming of the Messiah, he puts them both together. He says, in Bethlehem, Ephrata. That would be the place where the Messiah would be born. So it has these two names. Bethlehem meaning house of bread. House of bread. You'll find a lot of Bates, B-E-T, in the Old Testament. There are other places. You go to Israel today, I can take you to a lot of Bates, Beit Shan. And other places like Bethlehem, Bethlehem, Bethlehem means house, Lehem bread, the house of bread, Ephrata means fruit fields. Bethlehem, the place of bread, Ephrata, the place of the fruit of the vine, the fruit fields. Bread, and the fruit of the vine. I want to tell you why it's so important, and you shouldn't miss this, that Jesus was born in Bethlehem Ephrata, the place of bread and the place of vineyards. Now let me repeat it. Let's see if God doesn't speak something to your heart this morning. Bethlehem refers to bread, Ephrata refers to wine, the bread and the wine. Does that not trigger something in your heart? Bethlehem refers to the body of Christ, the precious body. Born as a baby, grew up through infancy, became a toddler, became an adolescent, became a teenager, became... A man, the body of Christ, held within it the cleansing agent for the remission of our sins. The body, the blood that would be given for us. Last Sunday night, we looked at John's Gospel, chapter 6, and Jesus taught something there that upon reading before you begin to study it and understand it, it's sort of hard to hear 
But let me just remind you, in John 6, 54 and 55, Jesus says, Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day, for my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. In other words, Jesus is teaching there that for one to come into the kingdom, for one to have eternal life, he must take me in, not physically, but spiritually. We take in the body of Christ when we're fed from His Word. We take in the blood of Christ when we come to Him, a sinner needing salvation, presenting ourselves to Him, and allowing the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ to wash all our sins away. No wonder God said that when my son comes into this world, when the Messiah comes, he's going to come to a place that is indicative of his effort. The body and the blood. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrata, though you're so small, seemingly insignificant, too little even to be counted among the clans of Judah. Out of you shall come the one for me who is to be the ruler in Israel. Goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. In just a moment, as our hymn of invitation, we're going to sing one of our favorite Christmas carols. O little town of Bethlehem, Phillips Brooks was the author of this great Christmas carol. He, he was a great preacher here in the U.S. back in the 19th century. And in 1865, he made a pilgrimage over to the Holy Land and actually writes this in an account that I've read that when he was there over the days of Christmas, on Christmas Eve, he rode from horseback from Jerusalem all the way down those six miles to Bethlehem. And he arrived at what we now know to be the church of the nativity there in Bethlehem. And he worshiped God from about 10 o'clock at night till about 3 o'clock in the morning. And three years later, he'd come back to the United States and he'd write that carol. He gave a copy of the carol to his song leader in his church, Louis Redner, and asked him to compose just a very simple melody that the kids could sing. And that's exactly how this carol was introduced. The children of the church would step out on that celebration during the season of Christmas, and they began to sing, O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. Listen to those words. The hopes and the fears of all the years. Do you have fear 
this morning. What is that fear? I want you to know that that fear can find its solution in Jesus Christ. The hope you have for this life and the hope you have for eternity to come can only be found in Christ. And so we sing together and we pray, O holy child of Bethlehem, descend on us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell, O come to us, abide with us, our Lord, Emmanuel. Would you stand with me this morning bow your heads? Just a moment, we're going to sing that carol. And as we sing it together, if you need to come to this Jesus, that Micah, 750 years before he was born, predicted the very place he would come and how meaningful that prophecy is that he would come to the house of bread, the place of fruit fields, indicating his great activity, his great work for us, a body that would be broken, a blood that would be shed so that our sins could be washed away. If you need to come to Jesus, would you come today? If you need to come as a believer this morning, And do as we sing in the carol, ask the Lord to cast out the fears that we have, the concerns that we have, the burdens that we have. We're so thankful that that Jesus born in Bethlehem is here to meet us in our need today. If you need to come to him, would you come in just a moment as we sing. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for being with us in this place I thank you, Father, that you are a God that has a wondrous and a sovereign plan. Thank you, Father, that Jesus not only came, but the world couldn't miss it because, God, you had prophesied about it. And so, Father, today we absolutely have no excuse for missing it because not only was he prophesied, but we know he came. And not only do we know He came, but we know that He came and died for us and rose again for us so that in Him we might have the forgiveness of our sins, that in Him we might have hope, we might have comfort, we might have joy that we'll celebrate this season. Father, if there's one who needs to come to You to be saved, to rededicate his or her life, to lay their burdens down at your cross. Lord, one that needs to come and join the effort here at Bible Baptist, become a member of this church, I pray that such a person would come now, surrendering his or her life to this Jesus that was born for us, given by you, that one day is coming again for us. I pray and I ask it in his name. And amen.